This morning's scripture reading will be read from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and, and is not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgives what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of the liberty, and preserves, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You may be seated. Good to have each of you with us this morning. Appreciate you being here. If you've got your Bibles, open them up to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Pretty simple sermon this morning as far as complexity goes and as far as uh, the topic being discussed goes, but, but sure seems difficult to do sometimes. Hearing and doing. Appreciate JT reading for us there from James chapter 1, and verses 22 through 25 talks about uh, being doers of the Word and not just hearers. I uh, thought it was interesting, we had a new basketball coach when he first came uh, to our school, walked into his office one of the first days, and he had James 1, 22 written on the dry erase board, and I'll admit, I, I didn't have James 1, 22 committed to memory, and I thought, what's a basketball coach doing with James 1, 22 on the whiteboard, and so I went and looked it up and said, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers also. So that makes sense. How many times, if you've coached something, do you yell at the team to do something, or yell at a player to do something, they hear it, and they don't do it? Parents in the audience this morning, how many times do you very sweetly and very lovingly tell a child to do something, and they, maybe they hear it, maybe they don't, but it doesn't get done? And that's so frustrating as a coach, because you, you, I know you heard me, why did you not do it? It's so frustrating as a parent, because I know you heard me, why did you not do it? But sometimes, being on the receiving end of hearing instruction, perhaps instruction from God, we hear it and we don't always do it. How frustrating that has to be for God. The few verses preceding what J.T. read for us, beginning in verse 19, My beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, be slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Be swift to hear and slow to speak. The importance of hearing. If you picked up an outline on the way in this morning, we'll start there at number one. The importance of hearing. We can't do God's will until we have heard God's will. And this makes sense, right? Um, but I think that's the first point that's being made there in James chapter 1 and verse 19. Be slow to speak, be swift to hear. Don't try to tell God what His will ought to be. Don't try to tell God what you want His will to be in your life. Be slow to speak, be swift to hear. Let Him tell you what His will is for your life. I think a lot of times we use that verse to talk about arguments and disagreements, and I certainly think it applies there. But in connection with this lesson this morning, how much does it also apply into hearing the Word of God, hearing the will of God and doing what He wants us to do? Not always telling the Lord what's going to happen in our mind, not always telling the Lord what we want to have happen, but to be slow to speak and swift to hear. We can't do His will 
until we have heard the will of God. If you've still got your Bibles open, go over to Matthew chapter 13. And we see that illustrated in the parable of the sower. At least that's what it's called. The man-made heading in my Bible says that. Some call it the parable of the seed. I, I like parable of the soil. I think that's probably most practical. It's the soil that changes throughout the parable. But you know the one I'm talking about. It's in Matthew chapter 13. If you've got your Bibles there, look with me beginning in verse 3. And it says, Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. And some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away, and some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them out. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. And then we get this little nugget at the end of the parable in verse 9. He who has ears to hear, what do you think it says, church? Let him hear. If you've got the ability to hear, if you've got ears to be able to hear, let him hear. And that's the seed that's being talked about. It's the word of God. The seed fell on four different types of land. The wayside and the stony and the thorny and the good ground. And all four types of land had one thing in common. They all received the word. And that comes back full circle at the end of the parable. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. The parable ends, it's pretty short if the sower didn't go out and sow. If the sower went out to sow and he had no seed, there would be no parable. Nothing else would have taken place. If the soil didn't receive the seed, there would be no parable. If the seed was snatched up as it went about and it was never received by the soil, there would would be no additional information there in this parable. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. If we have no one to hear, then we cannot spread the gospel. But if we won't hear, then we have no hope of being fruitful. Letter C. Hearing is the foundation of our faith. Romans chapter 10 verses 13 through 17 says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And then you skip down to verse 17, and it's the one that we all know. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Unfortunately, I think sometimes we decide for others what their response to the gospel is going to be. Does that make sense to you? Sometimes I think we decide for others what their response to the gospel is going to be. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. How are they going to hear if no one teaches them? How are they going to hear the word if no one tells them the word? How are we going to be able to spread the gospel if we don't take it to other people? And I think sometimes as we go about that process, we come across individuals or groups of people or countries or areas of the world, and we decide we're not going to go there because they're not going to want to hear what I have to say about Jesus. What if someone would have decided for you what your response was going to be to the gospel and would have never told you? I think sometimes we decide for others that they're not going to respond. If they're not going to respond, I'm not even going to suggest it. You ever had the thought to invite someone to church and then change your mind? I'm not going to invite them because I know they just won't come. We've got to stop responding for other people. Let them make their own response. I can't control the response, but you and I can at least present the opportunity. You and I can at least sow the seed. 
I've often wondered in that parable, I mean, if there was four different types of soil and there was good ground over there, what was this guy thinking sowing that seed? Was he, was he not? He must have been like me my first time trying to, to help out in, in, in planting something out on the farm or in a garden. Didn't know good from bad ground. What was he doing? Anybody should have been able to tell. He should have only sowed the seed in the good ground and it wouldn't have wasted all that other seed. But that's not how the parable went, is it? Because Jesus in the Great Commission doesn't tell us to go into the parts of the world that we think are going to be highly receptive to the gospel. <laughs> That's not what it says. The Great Commission says go into all the world in teaching and preaching. Sometimes I believe that we respond to the gospel on behalf of others. In church, we can't, we can't do that. Hearing is the foundation of our faith. Now, I also want us to not lose hope. Because as you see there under letter C, we've got five different Responses that people sometimes give to hearing the Word of God. There are some, number one, that intentionally refuse to hear. They intentionally refuse to hear. They literally uh, use earplugs, if you will. In Acts chapter 7, verse 51, it says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, and so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. And when they heard these things, verse 54, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. They literally stopped their ears. They put earplugs in, is what we would do today. They put earplugs in. My dad worked at General Tire for 30-some-odd years, and I think he, because of that, received a lifetime supply of earplugs. <laughs> I don't know if any of you other fellows that ever worked there know what I'm talking about. Those little cheap, yeah. But those earplugs, I remember as a kid, anytime something's going to have any noise, he would have a pair, and they make a real difference. We go to the dirt track races sometimes. I, I like going and watching the cars go around in a circle. and now I like all that kind of stuff. I, it's silly to some people, but I enjoy it. And we go and the cars are so loud. What have you got to do to get rid of all that noise? You've you, you got to put on some, some earplugs or some protection. I remember 17, 18 years old, I was tough. I didn't need any of that. We were at Bristol, and I don't need to put any ear protection on. They made it uh, one lap, and I don't mean one lap. of the like the, They cranked the engines and started on the pace lap, and I needed because it was loud and you stop I don't want to hear this noise fellas your wives can answer this one for you <laughs> you, you ever be telling something or giving the honeydew list or things today and you and I don't want to hear anymore I don't want to hear stop the ears so they can't hear that's literally what happened here in this passage in Acts chapter 7 they intentionally refuse to hear the Word of God. You and I, if we try to carry out the Great Commission, we go out and we tell others about Jesus, there are going to be some that intentionally stop up their ears. I don't want to hear it. There are going to be some that angrily tell you, leave me alone. I don't want you to invite me to church. Every I'm not coming to church with you. Take the Gospel. Just know there are some that will intentionally refuse to hear. Are, are you? Are you one that intentionally refuses to hear? Number two. 
Some hear a deceitful message. Some hear a deceitful message. There are some today who go out not trying to teach the gospel, but trying to teach their own gospel, trying to teach something that might lead others astray. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 15-18, through 18, Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which uptaught and unstable, untaught rather, and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Some deliver a deceitful message. Now the purpose of that is not saying that uh, it's intentional and not judging the motives or the intentions of those that deliver this incorrect message. It's just a fact. There are some that deliver a deceitful or an incorrect message about the gospel of Christ. It's not enough to just hear with your ears and not to study and not to read and not to do your own understanding. Uh, you can't just simply take on the advice of everyone that gives you advice. I remember the first time going into Lexington Pharmacy School and we got up there and we don't have a lot of, back then, in 2007, the traffic lights all in town were green, yellow, or red. We didn't have a lot of those turn signals. Mayfield doesn't need a lot of turn lanes back in 2007. And so if you pull up to a stoplight, Ben, you can correct me here, but if the light's red and there's not a sign that says no right on red, you're allowed to turn right on red. Okay, I've been doing that right for all these years. I was told by somebody going to Lexington that the left turn signals work the same way. Ben, they don't work the same way, do they? So after about my fourth red left arrow that I ran through after stopping, I, I had someone that very politely told me that was bad advice that I had been given. Now listen, in my heart of hearts, was I doing, was I breaking the rules on per No. Somebody told me the red turn signals left work just like the red lights. When you're going to the right, you stop and then you can go. But they were 100% wrong. 100% sincere, 100% wrong. Luckily, I found out from someone other than law enforcement that that wasn't the way things worked in Lexington and was able to do it correctly after that. You ever been given bad advice? Perhaps bad marital advice, bad financial advice. Bad parenting, advice. Most of those things are recoverable. Are you listening, church? The one advice, the one bad advice that's not recoverable from, bad spiritual advice. Bad spiritual advice. Taking someone's word for it, this is the way to heaven. Taking someone's word for it that you don't have to worry about all the Scripture. Taking someone's word for it that you don't need to be baptized. Taking someone's word for it that it doesn't matter how you live, that God's grace is enough to cover all of your sins. Romans 6.1 tells us that's not true. We can't just continue in sin. Taking someone's advice for those things and not hearing the Word of God. We've got to hear. I'm hearing the message. Where are you hearing it from? Hear the Word of God. There are some that will hear a deceitful message. Number three, some misinterpret the message. In Acts chapter 8, you have the story there of Simon the sorcerer. It spans out over about 20 verses, so I'm not going to read it, but if you want to turn there, it's Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 25. And if you recall, Simon was a magician who performed uh, these uh, miraculous things. They weren't miraculous, these magical tricks, and he did it for, for profit. He did it for money, and he saw that the apostles were able to give the Holy Spirit by laying on hands, and he saw the dollar signs, didn't he? Scripture reads as if he had just been a convert and he saw what was taking place and he went to them and offered them money to have that power so that he could profit more. 
They misinterpreted the message he did. And if you recall at the end of that, once he realized what he did was in error and was in sin, he asked for forgiveness. But he'd heard the message, he believed the message, he'd become a Christian, but he didn't understand it all. There are some today who misinterpret the message. Number four, some refuse the message. A selective hearing, perhaps, is what we have called it. In Acts chapter 26, 24 through 28, uh, Paul was making his defense, and Festus in verse 24 said, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. And in verse 25, uh, Paul said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but I speak the words of truth and reason, for the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. For I'm not convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. And then I love it in verse 27. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. I think verse 28 might be one of the saddest verses in the Bible. When King Agrippa looks at him and he says, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. What that means, whether he was so close to becoming a Christian, or whether it means that he was mocking Paul, saying, well, you think you're going to persuade me to be a Christian in this short amount of time? Whatever it may mean, the verse before that proves the point that he had selective hearing. He had selective hearing. Uh, ability to block out what he didn't want to see or hear. Paul said, this stuff hasn't happened in some corner. You know all the details of everything I'm talking about. I know that you believe. And King Agrippa said, I, I don't almost persuade me to become a Christian. Some refuse the message. And finally, number five, there are some who hear and repent. Still in the book of Acts, but in chapter 2 and verse 37, at the end of the day of Pentecost, and the preaching of the sermon there in verse 37, they'd heard it, they were cut to the heart, and they cried out and said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? There are those who hear and repent. Church, for you and I, letter D, the importance of hearing is seen in the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we alluded to earlier, go into all the world and teach and preach the gospel. You and I, if we're going to be faithful Christians, you and I, if we're going to carry out the will of our Father, we're going to have to tell others about it. But before we can tell others, but before we can go and spread the gospel, before we can go and tell people to imitate me as I imitate Christ, you and I have to hear. And so the first point of our lesson this morning, the first point on your outline, is the importance of hearing. Have you heard the Word of God? Have you heard the gospel message, the power of salvation, the power of the blood of Jesus Christ to wash away your sins? Have you heard the message and do you believe it? So the first part this morning, hear the word of God. Now, I didn't see a whole lot of people shaking their heads no. Uh, full disclosure, didn't see many of you shaking your heads yes either, so I'll, I'll give you a pass. But if you've heard the gospel, appreciate you Luke. If you've heard the gospel, if you know what it's needed to become a Christian. If you've heard these things, if you've heard about Jesus, if you've heard about His crucifixion, if you've heard about His death, burial, and resurrection, if you've heard about our need for a Savior, what are you doing with that information? Because if you've heard, you've done well. That's the first part of the parable of the sower. The sower went out and sowed, and the soil received the seed. Now we're getting to the next part of that. Hearing, it's a two-part sermon this morning. Hearing and Doing. What have you done with what you've heard? Number two in the outlines, the necessity of doing. The necessity of doing. Point number one there, letter A, under Roman numeral two. The wise man built his house on the rock. Matthew chapter 7, 24 through 27 says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, 
I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and they beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But verse 26 says, Everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains came, and the wind blew, and the fall of that house was great. You see the difference in the two? The wise man heard, the foolish man heard. They apparently both went and built a house, but the wise man did it upon the things which he had heard about the gospel of Christ. Whereas the foolish man went and built his house, I would presume, on the things of the world. The one had a foundation founded in the rock, and the other had a foundation of sand. Letter B. The necessity of doing is seen in the fact that some hear and believe, but they do not, in quotations, do. They hear and they believe, but they don't do what they are required to do. Go back to James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. You skip to the end of that in verse 17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. It's how we closed our Bible class on Wednesday night with James chapter 4 and verse 17. The bonus verse, I called it. The one last little snippet that James threw in there at the end of chapter 4. Him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Is that not what our whole lesson's about this morning? Hearing and doing, you've heard, you know what you need to do, and you don't do it. James 4, 17, to him it is sin. You go back then and you work backward and you go to verse 13, and it talks about postponement of doing this good that you know to do. I can't help but think about it in our relations today. I know it's important to exercise I don't always do it. I know it's important to eat healthy. Wendy's at 11 last night. (laughs) I don't always do it. I know the importance of getting lots of sleep. I revisit the last statement I just made. (laughs) 11 o'clock in the drive-thru last night. But you know those things. You're a pharmacist. You know what it means to take care of your body. You know what it means to drink lots of water. You know what it means to get sleep. You know what it means to walk or run or jog 30 minutes a day. You know those things are good. I do know all those things. Well, then great. I'm going to be healthy. It's not how it works. Just because you know it, just because you've heard it, just because you've been told it, if you don't do it, it's really no benefit. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I've got a plan. I'm going to start. Someday, (laughs) probably around New Year's, (laughs) I can say that because it's January the 28th, this next New Year's is what I'm talking about, am I the only one, you know, I hear it, I know it, I'm going to start, when, someday, and it's comical, like, uh, yeah, we all put it off, we wait, and we wait, and we wait, Josh and I always joked he was going to go on a diet in May, is what he always said, he never specified the year. And so I like that. So I started doing the same thing. I too am starting one in June. Just don't know which, which June it's going to be. Someday we'll do these things. Him who knows to, good, to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. I'm going to do the good. I know I need to do it. I'm going to. Now, go back to verse 13 of James 4. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there, buy and sell, make a profit. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow because your life is like a vapor. Church, if you're here this morning, we're not to the invitation quite yet, but go ahead and get your mind going. If you're here this morning and you know the good you need to do and you haven't done it because you're waiting, my question this morning is waiting for what? You don't know what's going to come on the morrow. Him who knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. Letter C. 
sadly, there have been some that have been taught that there is nothing to do. There's nothing that you need to do. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says that for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, you take that verse by itself, and you apply it incorrectly, and you'll cause yourself much sorrow. But if you take that verse, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and you compare it to other verses, like John 14 and verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. You compare that verse, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, with Matthew 5 and verse 16, let your light so shine before men they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You take that verse and you combine it with James chapter 2, 14 through 26, where it goes through and it talks about those who comes to you and says that he's needy, that they need something from you. What are you going to do but help that brother? Verse 14 says, what does it profit if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but do you not give them the things which are needed for the body? What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well, but even the demons believe and tremble. We're not saved by our works. There's not enough good you could ever do to be worthy of heaven. But I'd submit to you this morning, you're also not saved in spite of yourselves either. You're also not saved simply by the grace of God with no action needed on our behalf. Well, Michael, those two verses are contradictory. I'd tell you they're not contradictory. They work together in perfect harmony. It's the beautiful, most perfect will of God that He gave His Son that by His grace we have the opportunity to have an eternity in heaven with Him. Will we hear that message and then do anything about it? Will we hear that message and then be obedient to His plan of salvation? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. It's the last point on your outline this morning. It's also our way of invitation today. What will your judgment be? What will your judgment be? 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or whether bad. What will your judgment be? I can't answer for you. You can't answer for me. I do know that if you're here this morning, you have heard the Word of God. If at no other time you've heard it this morning, that Jesus Christ came and gave His life on the cross for a ransom for our sins. He died there, was crucified, raised on the third day, and walked. Death has no more dominion over Him, just like sin has no dominion over us when we're washed in the blood of the Lamb, we're baptized for the forgiveness of those sins. You've heard the Word of God. What will you do with it? Will you be a hearer only, like the man that sees himself in a mirror and then walks away and forgets what he looks like? Or this morning, will you decide that today's the day to be a, he a hearer and a doer? If we can help you in that process, would you please come while we stand and sing? Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing?